touching story, hey? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you again. Uh, third week, some of uh, I can recognise some faces from the last couple of weeks and some new ones as well. Uh, so last week, uh, we looked a bit on, is the Bible still relevant? So by telling a story about William Wilberforce, my hope was to convey, I think the same Bible he read also ask questions of us and our culture these days. Uh, today I want to tell you about another historic figure who devoted to the Bible, to prayer, and yet his name is still a swear word in some parts of Ireland because of what he brought. Uh, not a great history. Uh, but wanted to start first, uh, for those who were here two weeks ago, uh, Sandy asked me a question when she interviewed me, I've been thinking of a bit. She asked, what is an attitude to bring when you're reading the Bible? So there's two answers, I guess. Uh, one, there's one kind of at this level and there's a quote that's a fair bit simpler, that that's the bit I'll remember as I walk out of here. Uh, but I don't know if anyone's come across on ABC Radio National, The Minefield, uh, Walid Ali, yeah? So there was a series earlier in the year and as part of that, he talked about something called intellectual humility. Two big words. Uh, this is what a guest said. And I want to suggest that humility in particular, but intellectual humility is a really good way to approach reading the Bible. This is what the quote said. Uh, to be intellectually humble is to see your worldview as open to improvement from new evidence and the experience of others. Put it another way, and then the bit that I reckon we can actually remember. Intellectual humility involves recognising that there are gaps in one's knowledge and one's current beliefs might be incorrect. <laughs> uh, I think, for me, growing up, uh, sometimes in the church, it was kind of this thing, you've just got to know this stuff and you've just got to be argued for it. <laughs> As I've grown... For me, there's a little more grey than the black and white that I grew up into. And there's something about reading the Bible saying, I've got some views on this, but what if I'm wrong? What if there is new things to see? So this is the bit that I can remember. Uh, you ever heard of J.K. Rowling? Yeah? This is how she put a similar thing. We should mistrust ourselves when we are most certain. <laughs> I quite like that. Because how often do we think we've got to be across it, we've got to convince others? As I talk about this fella, Oliver Cromwell, I think he would have done well to have a little more self-doubt and perhaps a few more friends that would have helped him see something then he was seeing. Uh, I thought of some verses too. Uh, you'll know them. Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Another one, this is Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. So I think I want to suggest in our reading of the Bible, how do we do it in community and how do we do it knowing that, uh, as one of my Anglican friends says, there is always more grace and truth to be revealed. <laughs> Can I see beyond what I'm seeing? But let me tell you about a fella, Oliver Cromwell, uh, last week I mentioned Martin Luther in Germany. So about 50 years later, this is early 1600s, 
and about 50 years before William Wilberforce that I spoke about too. Uh, Oliver Cromwell was kind of a statesperson, a politician, and actually ended up leading the Parliament's army, which sounds a bit funny in our day, doesn't it? You know, there's at least some separation between the army and the government. Uh, but there, there was a blend of politics and the armed forces. Uh, so in his 30s, he was actually elected into Parliament. Uh, in his 40s, he actually came, became quite prominent as a, as a leader of the army. And interestingly, he wasn't trained uh, as a general. He didn't have any military training. But what he used to do and why he was so effective, on, the, on leading up to each battle, he used to pray and read the Bible and put into action the tactics that he felt were relevant for that fight. Uh, and he was very effective as a result because he just didn't run off the playbook. Uh, but in his 50s, there was a point where him as a person in Parliament weren't so convinced of King Charles I. Uh, and this is a time where the Catholic Church was kind of a political institution uh, more than a body of believers. Uh, so the parliamentarians... Really, King Charles wanted to marry someone from another religion. How much does marriage and relationships make things messy? <laughs> uh, so Cromwell and others led the army against this. And what they actually did to get things the way they wanted, guess what they did? You probably know history. Uh, they executed the king. Uh, and the king in that time, his belief was, because I'm the king, therefore God will, will just work through me. Uh, but Cromwell and the Parliament saw it differently. So they ended up executing a king. Uh, somewhere there'll be a slide. There's a very old movie of this where Ali Guinness, who some of us who are older know as Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, he actually plays the king. It's pretty old, but it's worth a watch. But for me, the haunting thing in this is Cromwell was a committed Christian. He would have had many of the beliefs that we in the mainstream Christian church have. Uh, there's actually letters. There's a letter to his daughter saying to her, the most important thing in life is your relationship with Jesus. And from his journals, we can see that he read the Bible. He prayed every single day. Uh, I'd love to be able to say that I read the Bible and pray every single day. <laughs> But Cromwell actually did. But even in the midst of that, there were some pretty major mistakes he made. Uh, I would suggest uh, beheading a king was pretty high on that list. Uh, but also, there are records that he personally oversaw the slaughter of priests uh, in a town called Dogada. So on the one hand, a committed Christian with an active faith on the other, kind of some really, really horrible things. And his journals actually reflect that later in life, as he looked back, uh, he felt some guilt and had some significant regrets. All of this culminated in him uh, being Lord Protector, kind of the ruler of kind of what is broadly now the United Kingdom, uh, right up until his death in his early 60s. Uh, 
and he brought in some really good things like the kind of government we have now that leads to referendums. Uh, he actually helped bring in some of that Westminster Parliament. So he did some really great things, uh, but some not so good things. So I wonder if he read the Bible and prayed, because tonight we're focusing on reading the Bible, uh, I wonder what went wrong. Uh, I think what I want to suggest, and I'd love to have more time to spend on it, but we don't, I think I want to suggest in Cromwell's life, it would look from his journals and books on him, that while he read the Bible and prayed, there was a third element that perhaps he missed, which was fellowship with other believers. Uh, those who uh, have looked at New Testament Greek, uh, there's a word, those who study it will know that I don't probably pronounce it so well, uh, koinonia. Uh, really in the New Testament Greek, that's the word in our English Bibles that turns up as fellowship. Uh, if you think of 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he in the light, we will have koinonia, fellowship with one another. Uh, in Acts 2.42, the early church, uh, they devoted, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, really what koinonia is, it's not the, I enjoyed the fish and chips last week after, you know, the chips after church. And I enjoyed the conversations and there was a level of contact with people, yeah? Koinonia is that deeper level where you actually know what life is like for another and together you're doing uh, all you know to serve God, to worship God, to be the body of believers together. So I want to suggest two things. And in a minute we'll look at, well, how, what are some really concrete ways of reading the Bible? But I want to suggest, one, approach the Bible with humility because there always, is always no more to learn. No matter how many Bible studies you've been to, how many small groups, how many educational whatevers, there is all more, always more to learn. One, and two, as we read the Bible and pray, how do we not neglect the place of fellowship? Of, you know, Paul says, do not give up meeting together. Because uh, we can get a bit off centre, a bit eccentric, if we're not in fellowship with others. So, moving to what are some ways to read the Bible? Because I want to dot point a few, and chatting to Ben earlier, uh, I'll pull this together into a document that he can stick on. Uh, the Facebook site if you want to have a look at it because in some ways it's a bit of information. But I thought I'd start. Who's, who's looked up something from the Bible Project ever? Does that thing ring a bell? I reckon that's about 10% of us or so, I reckon. I thought rather than just talking about it, I thought I'd actually show it to you. Uh, if you Google or go to YouTube, the Bible Project, you will find a whole stack of videos. There are podcasts. And, and actually, it's a really useful resource. You remember last week we said, well, what's this book about? What's the background to it? Or this is poetry, or this is narrative and story. How do I read it? Uh, the Bible Project, they've actually got 20 different clips on YouTube. On They go through the different, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the different kinds of styles of Bible books. Uh, and a whole bunch of other things. But I just thought I'd show you one as a taster. So I wonder if we can roll the Bible Project. This is their overview 
of the Bible. The Bible series will teach you to understand the Bible's message and appreciate its unique literary design. The Bible is an intricate work of art that tells one unified story that leads to Jesus. But it isn't like any book you've ever read. It's actually a collection of books, each with its own purpose. And to make it more interesting, the Bible isn't even written in one particular literary style or genre. What do we mean by genre? Genres are a unique style of communicating, with certain ones being more effective at communicating different ideas or stories. Like a news article is one type of genre, while a children's book is another. Each genre has separate techniques and rules that writers use to communicate. The Bible has three main literary styles, narrative, poetry, and prose. This series unpacks the important elements of each of the Bible's literary styles while walking through key sections of the Bible. The Bible is a large book, but it doesn't have to be intimidating. Watch our How to Read the Bible series and see how the Bible is divinely inspired literature that leads us to Jesus. Episode one is an overview of the entire biblical story. So let's get started. Thank you. So that's the one minute version and it comes at you like drinking out of a fire hose, that one. So you need to watch it a couple of times, I reckon. But the other ones, they're about five minutes each. So in your Bible reading, if you're coming up to, oh, I'm about to read the book of Mark, if you Google the Bible project, there'll be probably five minutes on the background that will actually mean when you come to the reading, you've got some of the context, uh, what historical time is it set in, and hopefully it'll be more meaningful as a result. So the Bible project is one resource I want to suggest. Uh, Who's ever read the Message Bible? Kind of, some people call it a paraphrase, some call it a translation, some people debate those two things, by Eugene Peterson, yeah? I think, I was looking back, uh, 1993, uh, so I was still at school then, was when uh, he first started releasing translations. Uh, And interesting, I don't know if you know much about Eugene Peterson, Uh, really, he's got a book called The Pastor, because really, Primarily, he was a pastor through much of his life of a local church community uh, and he wanted to help his people to read and understand the Bible better. So he actually just started taking chunks and using his knowledge of Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. Uh, he would translate them and his hope that it was in the, in the language of the street, in the language that we use every day, Because when the Bible was originally written, it was in the earthy language that everyone spoke, uh, in the language they they spoke. Uh, Whereas, I know for me, as I read the Bible, some of its language I just don't use, depending on the translation. So, as a not even 20-year-old, for me, I loved the message because it actually felt like I was having a conversation uh, rather than reading a book that had words that maybe my parents would have understood. So can I suggest, if you haven't looked at it, the message is well worth a read. Uh, One of the things I love too is, I don't know, you know when you're reading a Bible, it's got all the, you know, it's got all the verse and chapter numbers, which are good, they help you find stuff. Uh, But in the earlier versions of the message, there weren't many of those, so it actually felt like you were reading a letter rather than kind of sometimes reading a series of statements. So my hope in this is to dot point a few resources that you can go and look at if you want to. So the message would be one. Uh, I was talking with a mentor probably 10 years ago and kind of saying, look, I don't know if you're meant to admit this stuff up the front, but I do anyway, saying, look, I feel like reading the Bible, it's not that fresh at the moment. (laughs) 
Anyone ever admit that to yourself, let alone to anyone else, you know? And it was interesting talking to him and he said, look, I wonder, have you ever thought of just printing it out on five sheets of paper and reading it? Take it out of that book you're in and read it like a letter because you think of Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians. They were actually letters that would have been on a long scroll delivered to a group of people who in community would have read through it. Uh, and that's what I started doing, and it meant I felt like I was reading something fresh and new, not something that maybe I'd read ten times before. Uh, but I actually managed to find a version of the Bible that actually, it, it's got the chapter numbers, you know, the big, you know, every bit of block, it's got a number so you can find stuff. But actually it hasn't got all the verse numbers, so it actually just feels like you're reading a book. And I've found that more things jump out to me when I'm doing that sometimes in other ways. So, again, these are some dot points of what have been useful for me. Has anyone ever looked at a commentary? Yeah, a few. I reckon that was 5%, <laughs> which is cool. I, I, I was studying youth and community work the first time I pulled out a commentary. Really what it is, it's, it explains, you know, we read a section of the Bible, so we read that much, and someone will have written a whole page on that that'll say, this is the meaning of that, you know, the word fellowship, this is what koinonia means. Or uh, last week I talked about knowledge, oida and gnosko. It actually goes into that so you can understand more of what's happening. Uh, there's a fellow, Tom Wright, uh, based out of the UK, N.T. Wright, he used to be called, he goes under Tom these days. He actually written a series of commentaries and what he did, he first translated into more everyday language and then wrote about a page on each section. Uh, when I was uh, kind of studying my way through the Bible at a particular time, it was really useful just each day I'd read one paragraph and then the commentary, and it kind of it felt like you were in the dust with the disciples or, you know, uh, reading about Daniel uh, in the lion's den. Actually, it actually brought that a bit more to life. So commentaries, and I came across something that I hadn't known when I was just preparing for this, uh, all of Tom Wright's translations and a fella, John Goldingay, uh, that's now been put into another version of the Bible. Uh, so I, th I know most churches have their default version. I find it really useful to get a, a new version of the Bible every so often because new things jump out and I, and I don't as quickly read over something thinking I already know it. One thing I quite like doing is actually listening to the Bible. I do a bit of driving in the, the ministry I do and I just find, you know, if I'm driving an hour and a quarter, uh, you can listen to a fair few of the letters in that time and for me it's different than reading it. There are different things I hear. There are things I miss when I'm making sure I'm taking the right turn. <laughs> but there are other things I hear because it's, I can hear it rather than I'm reading it. So, you know, you can download a copy of the message to, you know, Google Play Books or whatever you use. And that's just another way I've found listening to rather than reading the Bible. And I think that's how the letters would have been read in the Old Testament times. The people would have first heard them and maybe gradually passed the scroll around. They just didn't download the latest version from Kindle, you know. Uh, another thing, I don't know if you've ever tried it, memorising the Bible... Uh, when I did my youth and community work training, there was a Bible foundation 
Uh, so, you know, verses like, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry from James. There are things, we actually each, uh, every fortnight, uh, we studied a topic, and I think we had eight memory verses from that. And in some ways it was a real pain, but by memorising stuff, there's actually stuff that you get hardwired. And I find sometimes in moments, that stuff just floats to the surface, because once upon a time I did some hard work of trying to remember stuff. And I find uh, my, my sense is sometimes the Spirit of God even kind of maybe just brings up, I've done the work, but just brings something to mind that's really useful to a moment. Uh, but it's because I once put in some hard work to do something about it. Uh, two methods of Bible study I want to suggest. Uh, one, actually, uh, Ali and I were with the Worldview students a couple of months back and we actually talked about this one a bit in 1974, which was even before I was born, um, there was a conference on world evangelism, the Lasan movement, and they, there was a fella, you know, his name was Howard Snyder, so it's now called the Snyder Bible Study Method. But when we think of fellowship or koinonia, this is a way of studying the Bible in community, where what you do, you take a, a paragraph, and actually you sit around in a small group of five, eight or ten, and you actually write your own paragraph, uh, write your own paraphrase of that verse. Um, you know, be slow to speak, quick to listen and slow to become angry. Well, I wonder how you would put that in your own words. And I find needing to put something in my own words takes it from words that are familiar to how would I communicate that? So you put it in your own words, bringing whatever Bible knowledge you have to it. Uh, you actually then share with the rest of the group one by one, here's my paraphrase, and sometimes I find that someone else's paraphrase helps me understand at a greater depth what I was reaching for. Uh, and then, so you then, you know, refine your paraphrase a bit, and then you ask what I think is a really key question in reading the Bible, uh, how would my life change if I took this seriously? <laughs> Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Well, in my parenting uh, how would my life change in the, if I took that seriously? In my marriage, in my ministry. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of these groups, they meet each week or fortnight, so then the job is to come back the next week and say, well, how did you go? <laughs> and I don't know for you, if you've been around for a few years, there's nothing that helps you do a bit of work as much as needing to turn up a fortnight later and tell someone how you went, because uh, I don't as quickly forget it. No, the, the Snyder Bible study method, and I think we'll stick that in the Facebook, and uh, if you Google Communitas Australia, you'll find essentially a website where I put a bunch of stuff. You'll be able to find it there too if you want. Last method, and then I'll start pulling things in. Uh, Lecto Divina, I talked about this the first week. If you're looking for a good app, uh, pray as you go. It's put out by the Jesuits. Uh, and they use this Lecto Divina approach of uh, reading the passage and then really asking some questions that helps you imagine yourself into the dirt roads of Galilee or uh, the history of Daniel and his mates gearing up to work out would they stand against a king. Uh, and then, so there's a time to use our God-given imagination to picture what that would have been like and then read the verse again. Just another way to, I think, integrate scripture, to take 
the words of the Bible from kind of the cardboard cutouts in kids' books that they can be to the smelly roads of Jerusalem, you know? What would it have been like then, really? Uh, One last book, and it's linked to this divine reading or Lecto Divina. Uh, There's a Jesuit fellow, Kevin O'Brien. He writes a book, The Ignatian Adventure, which is really about using that imagination to walk through a bunch of spiritual practices. So that's pretty quick, bang, 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 bang. That's why we'll make it more accessible. But just a whole different ways of reading the Bible, uh, immersing yourself in it, getting to know it, and doing it in community uh, where you can, you know, there's an old, one of the old proverbs, iron sharpens iron. Uh, how do you be in community where you're sharpening others and they're sharpening you. So in pulling back out to wind up these couple of weeks, uh, for me it doesn't hurt to ask, why do we read the Bible? Is it so I can tick it off and say I've done it? <laughs> uh, for the voices in my head that say you should? Or, or is it about producing something else? So I think I want to ask, if we kept reading the Bible, whichever way works for us, for all of our different personalities... Uh, how would our lives change? Uh, and I often think back to Abraham uh, in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 10. It says of Abraham, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. What does that mean? Um, I've, I love the story of Abraham. You know, he didn't have an Old Testament to reference. Uh, he somehow... He heard of a voice of an unknown God and decided to leave the familiar to follow this God that was still being revealed. Uh, So the writer of the Hebrew asked, well, what was it that Abraham was following? And he suggests that this God, the God that we serve, there's a kind of a world that that God is wanting to build. Uh, If you think of, I started with this, uh, I think, on the first night uh, in James. That was last week, actually. Uh, The last, verse 27 of James 1, talks about religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. This was another one of my Bible verses, my memory verses, actually. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I touched on this last week in finishing. If you look back particularly over the Old Testament you'll see the prophets turning up to the king of Israel saying, hello, king, how are the vulnerable people going? Uh, Last week we were here and the video of the hampers was on. How are those that otherwise wouldn't have something, how are they doing? Uh, In Launceston and wherever people are watching online, how are the, you know, parents that don't have enough money to feed their kids, though they go without? Uh, how are the people from war-torn countries that are seeking some kind of place in our country? Uh, how are those that are out of work? Like, how are the vulnerable going? Uh, James puts it, how are the orphans and widows going? So I think I want to ask the question, uh, what ought our Bible reading and our serving of a risen Jesus look like? And I just wonder... Is it about participating with God in the world that's being shaped that is actually more just, uh, more merciful and more compassionate rather than just hard?
Tom Wright, who I mentioned uh, in his uh, translation and commentary, uh, he actually talks about three things and in a couple of his books as almost measures for uh, what does a more just world look like. And I think I want to suggest, as we look around and ask how are those doing it tough doing, and how do we respond? Uh, I don't feel wealthy and knowledgeable, and yet I compare with myself with so many in the world, and I, I have a loss. And I suspect even that we're sitting here freely worshipping, we have a lot to bring to others. Uh, so Tom Wright talks about three kind of indicators of you know, the coming kingdom of God that one day will actually come, but right now we just see glimpses. Uh, he talks about where we see relationships restored. Uh, lovely chatting last week about the fellow that's involved in prison ministry. Uh, where are their relationships to be restored in there? Uh, where is their justice to be re-established? Where are those that aren't getting a fair go at school, at work, in society? How, how are we moving to a more just society? Uh, and where is beauty rediscovered? I wonder, uh, as I, I, drove through Long, I drive through Longford to get home a fair bit of the time, and just the other day I happened to notice the blossoms coming out, and I just thought, wow, that's another expression of God. Uh, but where is there beauty in each other? So I think as we read the Bible and ask how the vulnerable are doing, I wonder, keep your eyes open in the Scripture and in the world around you for these things. Relationships restored, justice re-established and beauty rediscovered. Because could it be that the fruit of our journey together as disciples of Christ are seen in those things? Hope that's useful. It's been really good to be with you for the three weeks and thanks for the privilege of being with you and serving in this way. Amen. <laughs>